All right, morning everyone. It's good to see our hall being filled again. It's been a few weeks um, being online, but it's really lovely to be able to actually have a hall and have people to speak to um, and not just a camera. Uh, but for those of you who are still um, joining us online, we welcome you as well, and hopefully we'll be able to see you in person uh, sometime soon. Uh, but before we start, maybe um, I'll invite you guys to join me in prayer. So it's bow heads and pray. Father God, we thank you for this time where we can um, dig into your word, and we thank you that you've given us your word that we can open up and read, and we thank you that you have um, ordained this passage for us this week. And so, Lord, we just ask that um, as, as we read through it and, and try to learn something from it, that, Lord, you would speak through me. Um, may your spirit be uh, empowering me and giving me the right words to say, and um, not only uh, the people who are hearing, but even myself, Lord, I pray that there will be encouragements um, and also challenges for us as well. And so, Father, we thank you, and pray all these things in your name. Amen. So let me ask you this um, to start off with. Have you ever been in an awkward silence? For those of you who haven't, It really is quite awkward, isn't it? Silence is quite an awkward thing. It can make you feel quite uncomfortable. I can see that it really actually only took less than 10 seconds before someone had to giggle. After about 10 seconds, you can see people kind of shuffling in their seats and people started looking at each other. Even though you're wearing masks, I can see a lot of awkward smiles on your faces. And probably those people who are online, they've been checking their volume and checking to see if the stream was broken. Awkward silences really do suck. They're quite uncomfortable. But it's not just awkward silences that are bad. There are also all sorts of other kinds of silences that are no good. How many of you have ever felt the silent treatment before? Yeah? Yeah, my parents used to give me that sometimes. Yeah, I'd do something wrong, and instead of yelling at me, they would just stay really quiet, and you don't know what's going to happen next. Are they going to explode? Are they going to hit me? Are they, what are they going to do? Other times, probably over the last couple of years, you've been on Zoom calls or you've been online, and then you've got this really important thing that you need to answer. You know, you're having a conversation, and suddenly the sound cuts out, and you can see the person asking you a question, but you don't know what they're saying, and it's really awkward. Well, sometimes silence can even be nonverbal. I'm sure many of you will know the feeling of being left on scene or left on red, where it's just radio silence on messenger. Silence often sucks, and it makes us feel uncomfortable, and we usually try and do anything that we can to fill the gap. When it's quiet at home, if you're living by yourself, you might turn on the TV or turn on the radio just to have some sound going on. If you're like me, pretty much whenever I'm in the house, there has to be music playing. I mean, my life goal is to have a speaker in every single room in my house so that no matter where I'm walking, there is going to be music. And to be honest, when all else fails, we even 
resort to turning on the air conditioner or even just playing sounds like playing water sounds or white noise just for comfort because silence is uncomfortable. We all tend to want to drown out silence when it appears in our life. We all struggle with it. In fact, the quietest place on this earth is apparently now in a building uh, in Microsoft headquarters in Seattle. And it's specifically designed to be completely silent. And it's what we call an anechoic chamber, or at least that's what scientists call it. And apparently it's so quiet that people go crazy when they're standing inside because it's so quiet you can't hear anything at all. You can't hear yourself move. You can't hear anything. You can't, there's no sounds for you to listen to. It's so quiet that you get disorientated. You start hearing your own lungs when you breathe. You start hearing your heart beating, your organs moving, your bones cracking. You start, to, you start to not even be able to stand up straight because you just can't tell what's going on. It really does seem like humans don't cope with silence well. But it's not just silence, because in today's society, there's another thing, and especially in the last couple of years, that we haven't been coping well with. And this is being alone. If you ask anyone in the last two years, if they've been in isolation for three days, six days, 10 days, two weeks, three months, a year, two years, they would probably all say, it really sucked. Or even if you ask someone who's moved away from home, gone to a new place to live without any friends or family, to feel alone even when you're surrounded by people. An Australian study in 2018 showed that one in four Australian adults feel lonely. Half of Australian adults feel lonely at least one day of the week. Nearly one in three adults feel alone at least three days a week. That's nearly half your week or half your life you feel lonely. Between you and the person sitting next to you on either side, one of you actually feels lonely at least half the time. And you can imagine that these numbers wouldn't have improved in the last two years. And yet this morning, as we continue to look at our series on spiritual disciplines, we're actually going to look at why these two things, silence and solitude, are actually good for us. We're going to see why it's so good that we should be practicing it, we should be seeking it out, we should be making it a regular discipline in our lives. How can silence and solitude be a healthy discipline for our soul and for our spiritual growth? Well, we're going to have a look at these two different topics, and the first one is going to be silence, uh, silence. and we're going to turn, or we're going to have a look at this little passage in the Bible from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, this book of Ecclesiastes is written by a king, one who was widely said to be the wisest king who'd ever lived, King Solomon. And this book is a collection of reflections of this king. As the richest, wisest, and most powerful man of his time, he had everything at his disposal. He had money, he had wealth, he had power. And so when he writes these reflections, it's kind of like, well, there's no one better in the world to write this. But in chapter 3, verse 7, in chapter 3, there's a section as King Solomon gives a bit of a reflection on balance in life. And in particular, in verse 7, he writes this. He says, there's a time to be silent, a time to speak. So if the wisest king, inspired by God, says that there is a time to be silent, then when is it? 
Well, as we think about the concept of silence, I think we can think of it in two different ways. We can think about being in silence or you being silent, two different ways. One is being in an environment of silence where there's nothing around you and there's nothing going in. And then one where you are being silent where there's nothing coming out, most likely out of your mouth. We're going to think about why both of these are actually good and when they can be good for you. So the first one, why is it good to be in silence? Well, we live in a fast-paced society. We're surrounded by technology. We're surrounded by ways where information, sound, stimulus enter into our lives 24-7 without having a break. We have Facebook feeds that are just infinite in scrolling. We have Instagram feeds that just never have an end. They just keep giving us content. Netflix auto-suggest features, they continue to play the next episode or the next series even after the current one finishes. In fact, how many of you have physically made the effort to click the next episode button because you're too impatient to wait the 10 seconds before it restarts the next one? You know, we're all living in this fast-paced, this content-driven, consumer-driven world, and so there are times where silence is actually useful. Silence can be quite powerful when used in the right way. When used effectively, silence can be attention-grabbing, and it can serve a purpose. When I was thinking about silence and when silence is really powerful, the most recent one that I can think of is in a particular movie. I don't know how many of you have seen Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. Maybe a couple of people are nodding their heads. To be honest, it's not the most memorable of all Star Wars movies. It's not really the best one. But there is a particular scene that sticks out. And for those who haven't seen it, I won't, I'll try not to spoil it. But, you know, it's Star Wars, so there's always, like, starship battles, and there's, you know, there's this scene where there's all these explosions that are happening, there's alarms going off, you know, there's people who are about to die, and, you know, there's this huge battle going on, and, you know, as you're sitting in the cinema, it's loud, and there's, you know, all these things going on, it's so chaotic, and then suddenly there's this, there's this twist in this scene. And as it sort of builds to the climax, instead of seeing this mega huge explosion, there's suddenly just complete silence. And in fact, it's not just silent for a moment. In the movie, there's a full 10 seconds of silence as you watch the visuals go by. And this was so unexpected, and people were just not used to it. They'd expect that when there's all sorts of flashing lights and things going on the screen, you expect that there should be lots of loud noises going on. And it was so unexpected that cinemas had to start warning people to say, there's going to be silence in this movie because people started complaining. They thought that the movie was broken. But it was so effective because for a full 10 seconds, there's nothing else to concentrate on. You had to watch the screen. You can feel everyone in the cinema holding their, their breath, not daring to move a single muscle. You could literally hear a pin drop or maybe a piece of popcorn if you're in the cinema. But man, if you weren't paying attention for any part of the movie, this would have gotten you to pay attention. When silence comes and when it's unexpected, it grabs our attention. You tend to listen and you tend to listen really hard. Your senses are heightened, and this is what silence can do. And this is why it's important for us 
When it's quiet in the right moment, we pay attention. And quite often, God uses times of quiet to speak to us because that is when he has our full attention. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings talking about this prophet of God, this this man named Elijah, and he meets God in the quiet. In 1 Kings chapter 17 to 19, we see this narrative where this man, Elijah, he's this prophet from God, and he's been doing all these things, and he's been just recently going off at a face-off with all these other prophets of other gods. And he had this challenge where everyone had to prove that their God was real. And Elijah had just humiliated all these prophets because they were all trying to rain fire down from the sky. And Elijah's God, our God, was the one that did rain fire down and burnt up everything on the ground. And because of this, Elijah was, well, he was seen to be, well, his God is real. But the queen at the time didn't really like this guy. And so there was a target on Elijah's head. So you kind of imagine in this movie, he's just blowing things up, you know, explosions are going on. He's now got a target on his head and he's now running for his life. It's a really cool story. I encourage you guys to read it afterwards or when you have some time. But as he's running away, Elijah runs and he hides in this cave. And whilst he's there, God says that I'm going to come and visit you. Let me read to you a few verses in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to start from verse 11. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God didn't come in the huge winds, in the tornadoes. He didn't come in the earthquake. He didn't come in the fire either. God came in the quiet. God often waits for the quiet moments in our life when we're not distracted by all these things of the world. He waits and he speaks to us in the quiet because he wants our full attention. Being in an environment of silence invites God to come speak to us. Now, there's another verse that talks about the environment of silence and God's presence. And this verse is in a book called Habakkuk chapter 2. And in this verse, it says that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know, there are some churches that build into their Sunday service, they have a time of specific just silence. You know, when I was younger, I used to play piano over um, in the Chinese congregation. And before every service, there used to be this one specific song that they would always play. And I used to have no idea what this song was until I grew up and I actually read the words of the hymn. And the words of the hymn were these words. It said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. They, of course, were singing it in Chinese. So again, I had no idea what they were singing. But, you know, when we come into the Lord's presence on a Sunday, a time of silence can be powerful. 
When we come into this church and when we come and sit down and we are before the Lord, when we are in his presence, in his holy temple, we are to be silent before him. We are to be silent before him as we reflect and as we just think about who he is to realize that we are in the presence of the almighty God, the God who loves us, the God who has created this universe. Being in an environment of silence allows us to hear God, to be in awe of his character. So the challenge for us, when do we have a moment of silence? When we come on a Sunday morning, do we sort of rock up at 11, well, well, now 10, 10, 29, and 30 seconds, and we're sort of still sort of running through the car park, and then as we're coming in, the songs are starting, and we're still sort of, you know, getting our stuff ready, and then, you know, the service has already begun? Or maybe we can come just a little bit earlier and just take a moment, maybe just go even across in the park, maybe come into this hall a few minutes early, maybe after the service, just spend a little bit of extra time and just be in the quiet, be in the presence of God. Well, the environment of silence, being in the environment of silence allows God to speak to us. But what about being silent? What does that do for us? Now, Violet shared with us this morning a really interesting concept. What happens if you go catch up with a friend and then all they do is talk at you? What happens if you go and catch up and you want to have a conversation, but there's nothing for you to say because there's no time and all they're doing is just talking at your face for two hours? It's not particularly enjoyable, right? Being silent has something good for us as well. In fact, listen to um, a verse that comes in the New Testament. A guy called James wrote this in, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, and he says, everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let me ask you this. How many times have you said something that you later regret? You know, often we get riled up. We get passionate about certain topics in our life. You know, like when someone tries to tell me that Apple products are just overpriced and they're no better than Samsung products, you'll definitely hear me speak up. And I might even get a bit heated as well. You know, when we're passionate, when we really, really strongly feel about something, or if we feel offended, or if we feel attacked, it's natural to want to defend ourselves with our words. And yet James tells us, be slow to speak. And again, sometimes it's not just when we're riled up that we want to just, you know, word vomit at someone. Like I said, you know, what happens if there's someone who just, you know, every time you catch up with them, all they do is talk? Maybe it could be your best friend, who knows? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's an uncle or an auntie at family gatherings that you know as soon as you sit down with them, you're not leaving for half an hour. Or it might even just be your boss, a colleague at work. Let's be honest, you probably have someone in your mind right now, the person who just never stops talking. And now as you think about it, if you have someone in your mind, then you are probably in someone else's mind too, right? Naturally, we're all self-centered creatures. Because of the fact that we have this sinful nature within us, we all are selfish. We all want attention. We all crave it. We want to be heard. We want to tell others what we think, especially if we think our opinion is the right opinion. That's when we really want to make sure that people know. 
But the reality is, for every moment that we are speaking, it's one less moment that we can hear others. You know, last week, we were talking about this discipline of service, to serve each other, to serve God. And we learned that it comes from a heart of love, a heart of humility, a selfless heart. And so when we are silent before others, we give them an opportunity, and we give them an opportunity to open up. When we are silent, we can listen to other people. When we are silent, we can listen to God. When we prioritize being silent, it means that we are prioritizing listening. When we are prioritizing listening, then we are prioritizing others above ourselves. And so when we practice being silent, we place others and we place God before ourselves. And so when we think about being in silence or being silent, the challenge for all of us, including me, is who do we actually need to practice this discipline with? Who do we need to practice this discipline of staying a little bit more silent towards a person? Maybe it is towards your parents when they're talking to you to sit and to listen to them. Maybe it's to a colleague or maybe even towards God. How will you intentionally ask God to help you to be silent and to be in silence so that you can listen this week? Now, I'm not saying that we should just become mutes, you know, get a, get a mask and cover your mouth and never talk again, because often in our times, we will find ourselves in unexpected situations. We'll encounter situations where we're riled up, where we're angry, where we're sad, where we're in states of heightened emotions, and in those times, it can be hard to stay silent. And so what do we do? And I want to have a look at this passage that we read, the passage that, um, that Alex read for us this morning because we're gonna have a look a little bit at Jesus and see how he handled these situations. In particular, how he found that solitude, being alone, was an answer. You know, in this first part of this passage, we read about Jesus learning about the death of John the Baptist. You know, Herod, he was the ruler of the region at this time, and he had asked John to be beheaded as part of an oath that he made at a party. Yeah, John the Baptist and Jesus, a bit of background, they were cousins, and both Jesus' mother, Mary, and John's mother, Elizabeth, they knew each other, and even Jesus and John, they were born just months apart. So it could be quite possible that Jesus and John grew up together. They were childhood friends. But as they grew up and became adults, their lives kind of split a little bit. We know as we read through the scriptures that John went out and he lived in the wilderness and he preached out there, whilst Jesus grew up as a carpenter before um, becoming a teacher. And in this first part of this passage, we read about Jesus learning of the death of his cousin. And in fact, in the time leading up to John's death, John had been imprisoned by this Herod, this ruler, and so it's likely that Jesus hadn't seen John for a while, maybe a year, maybe a few years. And so when Jesus finds out that his cousin, his childhood friend, had just been killed, and not just killed, he was killed over a silly oath at a party, you can imagine what kind of emotions he'd be feeling. Can you imagine how he would be feeling as he found out that his friend, his cousin, his family had just been murdered over a little oath at a party? 
how would you feel? How would you feel if you found that that had just happened to your family member, that they just died? You know, when I sort of read about this passage, it made me think a little bit about family members of victims these days when they have people who have been killed by car crashes, especially by those who maybe have been drunk drivers. And you hear them speaking, these family members of victims speaking about the anger, the injustice. It tears people apart. It tears lives apart. And it's really interesting to see what Jesus does when he receives this news. We read it in chapter 14, verse 13. It says that when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus decided that being alone, that solitude was the thing to do when he was faced with grief. And in doing so, he gives us a bit of a glimpse as to why solitude is an appropriate response to grief. For Jesus, solitude was to find a private place, a place where there were no other people. But importantly, it was no other people, but it wasn't away from God. And this is really key when Christians talk about this idea of solitude, because solitude isn't being just alone with yourself. Solitude is being alone with God. There's a little distinction there. We're not just trying to get away from everything and just be with ourselves. It is to get away from other things and to be with God. And then in this next part of the passage, we see that Jesus then, the next day, he has a whole real busy day because on this, on this next day, he then goes off and he finds all these crowds, all these crowds bringing him the sick. And so he spends the whole day healing the sick. And after the whole day has gone, then he has to feed all these people and he miraculously multiplies five loaves and two fish just to feed 5,000 men. And that's not even including the women and children. You know, for some of us here, we've been involved in organizing events like a food fair or organizing a camp. Uh, we have our own personal chef in the house, Nika, and he knows what it's like to cook for a lot of people. A lot of us will say that cooking for 50 people is hard enough, but imagine if you need to feed 5,000 people. And yet Jesus, with his heart of compassion, he doesn't turn them away and say, I'm sorry, guys, this is my day off. I've just learned that my cousin has died. I can't look after you guys. Jesus, with his heart of compassion, doesn't turn all these people away. And you can imagine at the very end of this day, after he's just performed all these miracles, healed all these people, fed them all, he's absolutely beat. And so what does he do? In verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Jesus started this day getting the news that his cousin had just died, and so he proceeded to go and find a place of solitude. Then he faced the crowds and had a busy day doing all of these things, exhausted. At the end of the day, what does he do? He finds a place of solitude. In the face of heightened stress, in the face of heightened emotion, Jesus goes and he finds a place of solitude. When he is alone, he's not just by himself, he spends time in prayer. And this is what solitude is about. It is about being alone, away from distractions of this world, but being alone with God. 
spending that one-on-one time with God so that he can hear God, so that he can pour out his heart to God, so that he can be refreshed by God. When you think about the fact that early, early in the morning he finds out about his cousin's death, and yet for the whole day he can put that aside to look after all these people, this is incredible. This is a heart of compassion that just doesn't come by saying, hang on, I just need to take a moment, take a deep breath, and off we go. There is something more about that time of solitude that he has. When we spend time in solitude with God, it allows space for God to work in us. When we go into a physical space free of distractions, we can focus on God. We can realign ourselves with God because the world is going to try and pull us away. Netflix, Instagram, social media, our friends and family, our work and our jobs, all of those things pull us away and distract us. But when we take the time to get in sync with God again, when we are in tune with God, our souls become refreshed. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue God's work, even when we are exhausted, whether it be emotionally or physically or even mentally. Finding time for solitude refreshes us. Finding time in solitude helps us to come back to God. Now, solitude isn't only something that we go to when we are in trouble. I thought a little bit about this idea of spiritual disciplines again, and it made me think a little bit about swimming. Many of you who know how to swim, or at least when you're thinking to learn how to swim, you don't kind of go, oh, well, I know that swimming's really important if I fall off the boat or if I fall into the pool. You don't think to yourself, oh, well, actually, well, that's when I need to know how to swim, so when I fall into the pool, that's when I'll start to learn and that's when I'll practice. That's not what you do. You learn how to swim early on. You learn how to swim in a controlled environment, in a shallow pool, where you don't have the problem of drowning, so that you can focus on learning, so that you can get good at it, so you can build your strength, build that training, build that habit, so that if you accidentally fall in, so that if you're fishing or squidding and you fall over the boat or you fall off the jetty, you know how to swim and you can survive. And this is the same for these spiritual disciplines. Yes, solitude is really good for when we need time away, when we need to catch up with God again, when we need to realign. But solitude is something that we need to build in as a discipline. We need to get used to it. We need to get used to the habit of being in solitude with time with God. And so the challenge for us is that in our busy lives, where the the moment that we wake up, we have things bombarding us all the way until we close our eyes, How will we take the example of Jesus and set time regularly aside to be in silence and to be in solitude? Because remember, when we build up these good habits, then we can rely on these habits to continue on even when the unexpected comes. And if there's one thing that I want you to take away today, it's that this discipline of silence and solitude is not about alienating yourself from everyone else. It's not about pulling yourself inside and it's not about looking at yourself inwardly. Silence and solitude isn't one that's for monks and for people who just sort of go off into the desert and don't speak to anyone for years or anything like that. 
The discipline of silence and solitude draws you closer to God and by doing so prepares you to go back out and to be with people. The discipline of silence and solitude helps you to realign with God, to be refreshed so that you can go back out into this crazy and chaotic world where there's so much, where we feel overwhelmed. This is what silence and solitude helps us with. And so as we finish up, and I will ask the, the band to come back up, we'll take this opportunity. We might actually have a little bit of silence and just spend this moment. It might even just be 15 seconds. It might just be 30 seconds. But just take this opportunity. Don't think of it as being awkward, but think about it as spending time with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this idea of silence and solitude. We thank you that as we read through your scriptures, you paint a picture of how silence and solitude is good for us, how it builds us up, how it helps us to listen, how it helps us to be selfless, how it helps us to be able to recharge, refresh, and realign ourselves with you, Lord. And when we are living in this chaotic day-to-day -day world where there's just things coming at us left, right, and center, when we can feel overwhelmed by the media, by our jobs, by our friends, by our family, thank you that you call us to practice this discipline of silence and solitude. And we know that it is difficult, but Lord, we ask that you would help each one of us to take that time away, to take that time away so that we can be in your presence, to be in awe of you, to realign ourselves and to know what it is that you want for us. So Father, I ask that for each one of us here that you would help us to find that time, help build it into our daily routines so that when the unexpected comes, we don't feel like there's nothing left, there's nowhere to turn, but we know that when we spend time with you, that is where we need to be. So Father, we thank you so much. We pray these things in your name. Amen.